You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Well, our our preaching series this fall is in Romans 5 through 8. And as we are going through this section of the scriptures, we're asking two basic questions. What is the gospel and how does it work in our lives? Because we desperately need answers to these questions. Here's the reality we live in. We live in a culture in which everyone is trying to find or create their identity. And the way that works in our culture is you, you look inward, sort of just figure out what your passions are, what you're all about, and then you, you project that outward so that people out there can validate who you are. The most obvious example of how that works is social media. That's happening all the time. But that's not the only way. There are lots of ways that we're all doing this. And um, the problem with it is it doesn't work. No matter how much validation you get out there, it's not enough. It won't ever satisfy your soul. And what that creates in us is this underlying anxiety about our security and value and purpose. Like this is just normal life in our world. But if you, could, if you could pull back the curtain, if you could look behind all of that, I think that what you would see in this search for identity is that there is a great and real spiritual battle taking place for our hearts and minds and souls. That's why we need answers to these questions. The true gospel of Jesus has the power to expose what is false and then to reshape us according to what is true. But we have to hear it. We have to set our minds on it so that it sinks into our hearts and gets worked out in real life. That's what we're doing in Romans 5 through 8. Like we are not just playing church this fall. The stakes are way too high for that. Today we're in Romans 5 verses 12 through 21. I would love for you to open it. If you were paying attention during the reading, you realize there are a lot of like theological words in here. It's really dense. We're going to try to simplify it. So if you have a Bible, it would help to look at it. This Sunday and this Sunday only, I will allow you to use your phone. Airplane mode. It will help you to see this, the passage as we, as we work through it together. If you look at the very beginning of chapter five, it starts this way. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith. That's the theme of the whole chapter, justification by faith. We cannot justify ourselves before God, but God can justify us by his grace. Uh, he can give us a new status. He can declare us righteous. And that's what he does for everyone who believes in Jesus. That's why it's called justification by faith. It is something that God gives by his grace and something we receive by faith. And so in the first 11 verses of this chapter, Paul just expounds the, the benefits of being justified by faith. He says, we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. We stand, we exist in grace. We have a deep joy and hope, no matter what our circumstances are, because we are utterly convinced by God's spirit that he loves us. That's where we've been the last two weeks. The question that comes up now at this point in the text is this, all right, how does this work? Like, how can it be that what happened to Jesus and what Jesus did is applied 
to us? How does it work? And the short answer is that it works because God works through representation. Uh, you'll see that this section, this passage of scripture is about two guys, Adam and Jesus. Adam is the father of humanity. Jesus is the head of a new humanity. And whatever happens to the representative affects the many. Very simple illustration is, or analogy would be like the team captain in football. So before a football game, the team captain goes out to the middle of the field for the coin toss. He calls heads or tails. Whatever he calls, the team calls. Right? If he wins the toss, the team wins the toss. If he loses the toss, the team loses the toss. What, whatever happens to the one affects the many. That is a very simple way of putting it. But this is essentially how it works. The one affects the many. Contrary to our modern search for identity, Romans 5 is saying there are actually just two fundamental identities. In Adam and in Christ. That is like breaking news in our world. It's part bad news because by nature, everyone is an Adam. And we're going to see in a minute why that's bad news. But also, there's good news, which is that by faith, anyone can be in Christ. That's what this passage is about. Let's start with the bad news. By nature, everyone is an Adam. What does that mean? Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, you see the paradigm working there? Whatever happens to the one affects the many. In Adam is the story of how sin and death came into the world and into our lives. And so we'll just walk through this progression here. First, he says, sin came into the world through one man. Right? Sin was not part of God's design and creation. It came in like an intruder. How did it get in? Through Adam. We looked at that story in Genesis 3 this summer. God gave Adam and Eve every tree in the garden for food. He commanded them not to eat from one tree. But of course they did because there was a false God out there with a false promise that they could realize their full potential if they just did what was right in their own eyes. Do you realize that's the world we live in? Many gods, many gospels, many messages about the meaning in life, many promises about where we can find true happiness. Only the true gospel has the power to expose all of that. But this is how it happened with Adam. He ate of the tree. Now in Genesis, uh, sin is described as like a, uh, a crouching lion ready to pounce. And so when Adam ate of the tree, sin seized the opportunity to break in through Adam's disobedience. See, sin is not just an individual act. It's like an evil power. It's a regime that moves in and takes over. The, the, the characteristic nature of this regime is death. That's what he says next. Sin came into the world through one man, and in the same way, death came through sin. When God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree, he said, if you do eat of the tree, you will surely die. And he's talking about physical death, but also spiritual death, which is really just to be separated from God. There's two kinds of life in the Bible. There's, there's bios, which is just 
to be alive, have a pulse. And there's zoe, which is is a quality of life that is life in fellowship with God. Both are being talked about here. When Adam ate of the tree, he cut himself off from the source of life. He was exiled from the garden, out of the presence of God. That out there is the realm of death. And so physical death eventually came for Adam and Eve, but from the moment sin entered the world, death was his reality. And because we are in Adam, it became our reality too. Look what he says. Sin came in through one man, death came through sin, and death spread to all men. After Adam, everyone's born outside the garden. Everyone is subject to sin's power. Everyone dies. And then finally, he says, because all sinned. There is a lot of debate about this little phrase. Like, in what sense have we all sinned? So in one sense, we have all, all of us sinned in our actual lives. That is true and important, but not actually the main point Paul's trying to make here. Paul's point here, which he clarifies in verse 13 and 14, is this. He's just saying, everyone experiences death, not mainly because of their individual sins, but mainly because they are in Adam. Right? That's why people who don't have a command from God like Adam had, or like Israel had in the law, even people who don't have that, like their sin is not the same as transgressing an actual law, even they still die. They still live under the realm, the reign of death. Why? Because they are in Adam. This is some kind of deep doctrine stuff here. Um, Here's how John Piper puts it. He says, the problem with humanity is not mostly Uh, or not most deeply, our individual sinning that might seek out individual remedies. But our problem is the connection that we all have in Adam. And this text just over and over is trying to convey this in every way. So a few examples. If you look at verse 15, he says, by the transgression of one, of Adam, many died. And this is our problem. Verse 18, through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Verse 19, through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, counted as sinners. To be in Adam means that Adam's sin has become our sin, and Adam's judgment has become our judgment. Now, this is the point where I read your mind, because that... In our world, in a world that that cherishes and celebrates individualism and self-expression, that sounds absurd. How? How can what happened to one dude define me? How can what happened to somebody else so long ago define my identity? That's the question we want to ask, and the answer is because this is how God works. And how God works might grate against your cultural sensibilities, but that is actually what it feels like for the gospel to reshape us. The bad news confronts us. If you've never been confronted by God, then you haven't met the real God. It confronts us and it exposes us, but it does so in order to pave the way for the good news. That's actually Paul's whole point here. Look, if you look at the end of verse 14, he says, Adam was a type 
of the one to come. Adam is pointing us to Jesus. The whole reason Paul goes into all of this about what it means to be in Adam is so that we can see and understand what it means to be in Christ and how much better that is. In Adam is bad news, but in Christ is really, really good news. That's actually what Paul wants us to see. That's where the passage goes from here. There's a series of contrasts between the bad news of in Adam and the good news of in Christ. Let's pick up in verse 15. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, he starts by saying, but, so in contrast to being in Adam, but the free gift is not like the trespass. All right, so how is the free gift different and better than the trespass? Well, first, it's different in nature. Adam's sin was, was a transgression of self-assertion taking what he wants. It's grasping for identity and purpose on our own terms. But the free gift, which, which just refers to Jesus and all that he brings, the free gift is not like that. The free gift is self-sacrificial, self-giving. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so Adam believes the lie that he can become a god, but God becomes a man to save us from that lie. So it's different in nature, but it's also different in its result. If you look at the rest of verse 15 and into verse 16, verse 15, if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so again, because of one man's trespass, many died. But because of Jesus, this one man, grace abounded for many. I want you to notice the phrase in the middle of the verse there, much more. This phrase occurs throughout Romans 5 and what Paul is saying is not only is the free gift different than the trespass, it's much more. It's much more better. I said that in the nine o'clock service and my 17-year-old son corrected me afterward and advised that I use Grammarly when I write my sermons. I was like, no, it's a joke. It's okay. It's much more. So like if Adam's sin took us to negative 10, for example, grace doesn't just neutralize us and bring us to zero. It's not even that grace brings us to plus 10. It's much more. It brings us to like plus a jillion. That's what Paul's trying to say here. That's what he wants us to see. Look, uh, pick it up in verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If you want to talk about absurd, this is absurd. Look what he's saying. Following one sin, judgment brings condemnation. And that makes sense. Because God must judge sin. And we want him to. But then he says, following many sins, the free gift brings justification. So if the result of one sin was judgment and condemnation, then what should the result of many sins be? Greater judgment, greater condemnation, but that's not what happens. 
Douglas Moo comments that the accumulated sin and guilt of all the ages is answered here by God's free gift. And that is the miracle of miracles. That is beyond human comprehension. Paul wants us to see that grace is greater than sin. It is more abundant. It is more powerful. He doesn't want us just to see how justification works. He wants us to see how glorious it is so that we might marvel in it, boast in it. In the beginning of Romans 5, that's the word where it says rejoice. The word is actually boast. Paul is boasting in the free gift, and we should too. Judgment is real. In Adam is real. But it's not the main story. The main story is the grace and the redemption that comes through Jesus. Judgment is like the backdrop. It's there to magnify the much more glory of God's grace. This much more theme continues in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So as powerful as sin is to bring death to all men, how much more will Christ bring life to all men? How much more powerful is grace? He says, whoever receives this grace of God, whoever's justified by faith, they reign in life. I want you to see the little flip he made here. It's not just that we go from the realm of death to the realm of life. We go from being subjects of death to rulers in life. We reign in life through Jesus. Even in the midst of the realm of death that's all around us. I had a weird moment this week at Taco Deli. I uh, was standing, I, standing there because my order was late and so I was just waiting on it and I didn't have my phone. I was just there as a human being with my thoughts, <laughs> like someone from the 20th century. It was Neanderthal. And so I just started looking around in the restaurant and I don't know, didn't know any of those people in there, but that little like sample size of humanity just got me thinking about just the, the brokenness in the world the pain and the loss that people experience, the spiritual lostness of people in my own neighborhood. And it, it felt overwhelming. The, the realm of death was very real to me in that moment, and it felt like death was winning in my neighborhood. Have you ever felt like that? What do you do with that feeling? You can console yourself with tacos. You can eat your feelings. I did that later. But the other option is, is you can believe and apply the gospel in that moment. Yeah, in Taco Deli, you can do that. So in that moment, I felt very overwhelmed. I felt defeated. But the Lord just like pricked something in my heart and he said, hey, set your mind on what's true. And so I set my mind on the gospel. It occurred to me that uh, the cross was one of those moments where it felt like death had definitely won. But the resurrection proves otherwise. And so in the moment, I feel defeated, but I set my mind on the reality of the resurrection and it reshapes me right there in Taco Deli. So whereas I was feeling defeated, like there was just nothing that could be done about this realm of death I'm looking at and projecting on everyone there, though I don't know them. 
I went from feeling like nothing can be done here to realizing, no, a lot can be done because we reign in life. And I started praying right there for those people and that God would raise up more churches in my neighborhood so that more people could experience the much more life that is in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. He means now because of the resurrection of Jesus. He actually taunts death in that passage. He says, oh, death, where's your victory? Hey, death, where's your sting? The image is like a poisonous stinger. And everyone in Adam gets stung by death. But Jesus takes our place. Jesus takes the sting of death for us. And as one commentator says, he drains it of its potency so that the victory over death now belongs to God and to his people. We are not defeated. We reign in life through Jesus. That's good news that I need to hear everywhere, all the time, but it's also such good news that we have for the world. The world is not without hope because grace is greater than sin. Jesus is far better than Adam. Verse 18 and 19 just continue the contrast. These verses highlight the obedience of Jesus, though. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, or counted as righteous. So, Adam disobeyed, but Jesus obeyed. And he did so in much more difficult circumstances. Adam lived in the Garden of Eden, paradise. He, he literally had everything he could ever want. That's where the serpent came to Adam. And even having everything he wants, it only just took one little conversation to derail the whole thing. Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and nights without food, without much sleep. And yet, he never wavered once from God's word. When you read about Jesus' life in the Gospels, and you see his wisdom, when you see his compassion, his power, his faithfulness, when you, like when you see the perfect obedience of Jesus, that is not just an example to us that is the righteousness that has been credited to us. You know, so we think like, man, God knows what I've done. He sees me for who I really am. There's no way he accepts me. But the gospel reshapes that whole narrative. The gospel says, yeah, but the free gift is not given based on what you've done or not done. The free gift is given on the basis of what Jesus has done. If he's your righteousness, then you're right with God. You're alive to God in Christ. That's what verse 20 says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Adam is, is a dead end. In Christ is eternal life. 
In Adam, we are governed by the regime of death and defeat and despair, but in Christ, those things no longer have reign over us. We are in the reign of grace. Our lives are marked by forgiveness and joy and hope and love. Grace reigns over us. There's a professor at Moody Bible named Keith Krell, and he, he illustrates this passage by talking about two bodies of water in Israel. The Sea of Galilee is in the north. It's the largest freshwater sea in Israel. Uh, commercial fishing has, has been very successful there for 2,000 years because there's always an abundance of life and fish, a variety of fish in the Sea of Galilee. The shoreline even is known for its fruit, its vegetation. If you look at a aerial photo of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see that even around the edges of the sea, it's green and lush, even though the landscape all around it is more like a desert. The Sea of Galilee is a picture of life. But 60 miles south, there's the Dead Sea, which is so appropriately named. The Dead Sea is the lowest elevation on earth. I'm told that if you put Mount Everest in the Dead Sea, the peak would not crest the water. Um, you could, uh, I think, two million gallons of water flow into the Dead Sea every day and none flow out. It's like the place where water goes to die. It's nine times saltier than the ocean. So it just, it just cannot produce uh, vegetation. Nothing flourishes there. It's a picture of death. And so you have these two seas that give us a wonderful illustration of the spiritual reality of all humanity. One sea puts forth life and fruitfulness, one death and futility, and everyone is swimming in one of these two seas. Again, we're, we're told that there are endless identities, and the fun of life is you discovering yours. And that does kind of sound exciting until it's not. Like, this is what a midlife crisis is all about. Like, you eventually realize this is exhausting. I'm enslaved to this futile pursuit of defining myself. I can't do it. Not in a way that's satisfying. Romans 5 simplifies the matter. There are two core identities. In Adam, in Christ. In Adam, we're all swimming in the Dead Sea. And it might not feel like that. Like I've seen pictures of people in the Dead Sea just floating. They're like, I'm floating. This is awesome. We're on vacation. This is great. But the Dead Sea can't sustain life. The ecology of being in Adam eventually chokes out life. In Christ, we're flourishing in the Sea of Galilee. But it doesn't always feel like that. Uh, the disciples were literally on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus one time. And a great storm came upon them, and they were panicking. They were afraid for their lives. And Jesus was there, but he was taking a nap. Sometimes life feels like that. But the ecology of being in Christ means that we never have anything to fear because he's always in control. He's always reigning and ruling over reality. He can calm the water. He can walk on the water. Even if we die in the boat, we're alive because we reign in life with Christ. Like if you took all of the messages in our culture about the meaning in life and where true happiness is found, I promise you, none of them include dying. 
in Christ is the only reality in which dying makes us more alive. There's nothing else like it. So two seas, two realms. The question that the text is asking us is, where are you? The bad news is that by nature, everyone's an atom. But the good news is that by faith, anyone can be in Christ. And there's no catch. It's a free gift. All you have to do to be in Christ is to receive him. John says that as, to, as many as received him, whoever believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Not born of blood in Adam, but of God in Christ. Will you receive him today? And as you receive him, so walk in him. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.